Oh, it's so good. It's so good to be here. We are kicking off a brand new sermon series today. We're kicking off a brand new sermon series today called Keeping Up with the Joneses. If we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, every single one of us is guilty of comparison. We look at our lives, we look at our careers, we look at our bank accounts, we look at our cars, we look at our houses, we look at our spouses, we look at our children, and we look at everyone else's, and somewhere deep down, if we're all honest about it, we want what they have. We drive through the beautiful neighborhood and we see the beautiful house that's just out of our price range. And if we're honest, we do this with every area of our lives. There is no area of my life and no area of your life where we are not guilty of comparison. And here is what we know about comparison. Comparison has a very, very high cost. Let me talk about it just in, in simple terms. So I'm talking about houses. I know here's what we can afford. I know if we're going to be good stewards of what has been entrusted to us, here's the line. But I want what's up here. So the only way to get what's up here when us living safely and wisely within our means is for us to buy the house down here, but I want the house up here, what's my alternative? I'm going to have to go into way, way more debt. And some of you know what it's like to be in very, very serious debt. But here's the thing that I've discovered about finances and about life in general. Most people I know did not get into serious trouble financially. They did not get into serious debt because they were simply trying to put food on the table for their family. Most people that I know who got into serious debt got into serious debt because they knew this is what they could afford, but this is what they wanted. This is what they could afford, but this is what they wanted. Here's the house they could afford, but here's the house they wanted. Here's the cars they could afford, but here's the cars they wanted. Here's the schools they could afford to send their kids to, but here's the schools they wanted to send their kids to. And next thing you know, a family my age is dollars $500,000 in debt. Can you imagine can you imagine? For some of you, you can. For some of you, this is all too real a story because you know what it's like to have, here's what we can afford, but here's what we want. And here's what I know is true about me, and I know that it's true about you. What will drive our decision-making when we are buying a house or buying a car or looking for someone to date or marry, or maybe when we're going through trouble in our marriage— or going through trouble with our kids, or we're having a rough go of it at work, is we'll start looking around and going, my life would be better if I had their house. My life would be more satisfying if I had their car. My life would be more satisfying if I had their wife. My life would be more satisfying if I had their kids. And you 
will allow comparison to rob you of the joy of what God has given to you, and you will begin to look with disdain at the blessings of God because you are comparing your whole life to someone else's. And so this whole sermon series, this next three weeks, all we're going to be talking about is this idea. What is the high cost of comparison? What's the high cost of comparison? And so in week number one today, what we're going to be looking at is this idea that what's the high cost of comparison when it comes to stuff? What's the high cost of comparison when it comes to our stuff, the things that we purchase? Next week, we're going to be looking about the high cost of comparison when it comes to our spouses and our families. And then finally, in week three, we're going to discover God's agenda and plan for his church that will keep us safe from ever suffering the painful consequences of comparison. So this week, we're going to start off this one simple idea. No thing will satisfy. Now I say that. I say that. I've never owned a 68 Mustang. A really nice one been really well, you know, redone. And so I can't say for certain that no thing will satisfy. But I have driven some fast cars. And here's what I will tell you that I discovered, no matter how fast a car, no matter how cool a car, no car will satisfy. Let me make it for Putnam County. No truck. No truck. will satisfy. I'm just telling y'all right now, Ford, Chevy, you can be sacrilegious and go Toyota or Honda. Look, no, no truck will satisfy. No thing will satisfy. And if we don't understand that at the very core of our being, we will spend our lives suffering a great deal chasing stuff, expecting the stuff to satisfy. And here's what I know about stuff. No thing will ever satisfy. This is Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above, that is in the earth beneath, or is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain." 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. These 17 verses are better known as what? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. And here's the interesting thing about Ten Commandments, is the Ten Commandments kind of have a natural flow to them. It starts off with God saying, I'm the Lord your God. I'm the one who brought you out of the house of slavery. I'm the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And I need to let you know, hey, some basic, here's some just basic rules. Some basic kind of principles to guide you on your way. I'm taking you out of Egypt. I'm bringing you to a brand new land. I'm bringing you to a brand new life, to a brand new future. I'm bringing you to all that I have promised for you. But as I bring you out of your old life and into your new life, I need you to know some things. I am the Lord your God. And so, no surprise, the first four commandments are all about God. I'm the Lord your God. Don't worship anyone else. Don't make an idol. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Honor the Sabbath. And then it turns. So we have kind of these first four that are all about God, and then God kind of transition. And what's interesting is if you listen to what Jesus says when Jesus is asked by the Pharisees, what's the most important commandment? Jesus kind of echoes a sentiment. Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to honor the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I want you to love him. I want you to be committed to him. I want you to be devoted to God with all that you are. And the second thing is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so what Jesus is making clear is the same thing we see in the Ten Commandments. We see if we love God, if we have devotion to God, if our hearts are for God, the result of our hearts being for God is it's going to result in right relationship between other people. So honor mom and dad that you may live long in the land. Don't murder, seems like an obvious one. Don't commit adultery, that seems like an obvious one. No stealing, seems obvious enough. If it doesn't belong to you, you don't take it. No lying. Yeah, that seems right. But here's the interesting thing. We see this kind of movement here in the first nine. No other gods, no idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Honor the Sabbath. Honor mom and dad. Don't murder, adultery, stealing, or lying. Here's the other thing. One through nine are things you can witness externally. One through nine are all things you can witness externally. I can see you breaking those. I could be coveting right now. I could be coveting right now, and you don't even know. You have no idea. You can't see people coveting. And so I want to propose an idea to you today. That number 10, don't covet, is not just a command. 
Number 10 is not just a command. It's not just God saying, don't want what someone else has. Because by the way, that's an important one. It's an important command. But here's the other part about it. What if the 10th commandment is also a reward? What if the 10th commandment is also a reward? Let's go back to the screen before. Because here's the truth. If you're walking in your life with no other God but Jesus Christ and you've got no other idols in your life, meaning you're not giving your worship and your honor and your praise away to something something or someone else, and you're not taking the Lord's name in vain, meaning that you're taking seriously the things of God. You're taking seriously the things of God. You're honoring the Sabbath, meaning you're recognizing that there's, there's an appropriateness to recognizing there's some sacred and holy things in this world that we do to remember the God that gave us everything. You're honoring mom and dad. Well, when you honor mom and dad, normally it works out pretty well because when you're honoring mom and dad, you normally have a pretty good relationship with mom and dad. And how many of us have suffered the consequences of not having a great relationship with family? Don't murder. Life is going to be a whole lot better if you don't murder. I promise. I know OJ just got paroled, but I'm telling you, it's going to be better if you don't murder. No adultery, let me tell you right now, let me tell you as plain as I possibly can, married couples, come on. There's nothing, there's nothing over there that's better than what God has blessed you with. There's nothing over there better than what God has blessed you with in the marriage that he's given you. We don't commit adultery. No stealing, no lying. These, these are great ways to live, but here's the idea. If I'm living this out, If I'm living this out, I don't want someone else's life. If I'm living this out, the reward for living this out is that I'm living at peace in shalom with God. I'm living in a right relationship with God, in a right relationship with my family, in a right relationship with my spouse and my children. Why would I want anyone else's life if that's how I'm living? So number 10, don't covet. What if it's also a reward? I want to talk for a second about comparison, jealousy, and coveting. Comparison, jealousy, and coveting. And one of the things I said at the start of the sermon is this idea that we want the things that we don't have. We want the stuff we don't have. And so what we do is we look around at what everyone else has. We look around where everyone else has. But here's the reality. Here's the reality that I know and that you know. No thing will satisfy. No thing will satisfy. But that's not what comparison tells us. Comparison tells us, comparison tells us that the next thing will satisfy. Comparison tells us the next thing's going to satisfy. That didn't do it. That didn't do it. But you haven't got this yet. That didn't do it. That didn't do it. But you haven't got this yet. And so what ends up happening is we keep chasing and we keep chasing. And some of us have credit card bills to prove that we have kept chasing and chasing and chasing. But what we have discovered is that while comparison tells us that the next thing will satisfy, experience tells us that no thing will satisfy. 
Experience tells us no thing will satisfy. And that's really difficult for us in this day and age. Because in the 21st century in the United States of America, if you have any kind of web presence at all, if you spend any amount of time online or in front of a television screen or driving anywhere, here's what we've discovered. Digital marketing experts estimate that the average American is exposed to roughly 5,000 advertisements a day. During your waking hours, the average American is exposed to an advertisement in visual form every 11.7 seconds. It's crazy. And here's what's so difficult about advertisements, is advertisements are great at selling you on the next thing. Advertisements are great. It's selling you on the next things. And if you want proof that advertisements work really well, it's selling you on the next thing. Where, oh, where, oh, where did fidget spinners come from? A year ago, I want you to try to imagine coming up with the idea that if we put enough commercials in front of children, we will sell fidget spinners. And it worked. It worked. Advertisements work. If you have young children and you take them grocery shopping with you, I will prove to you that advertisements work because if you walk down the cereal aisle, they don't want the generic cheap cereal that tastes exactly the same but comes in a bag with no box. They want the box that has the character on it and the toy inside because they will be satisfied when they get the next thing. And we don't outgrow that, by the way. We don't outgrow that, it just gets more expensive. We don't outgrow that, it just gets more expensive. So don't make fun of your kid who's drawn to the Fruit Loops box because of the toy inside, because what did you just take the credit card out for? While you're checking out, can I interest you in saving an extra 5% by applying for a credit card today? Well, let's see, I'm making a $19 purchase. So I will save 95 cents, damage my credit score, and give myself a temptation to overspend. That sounds great. 95 cents for all that? Sounds almost too good to be true. But we do it. We do it. Why? Because 5,000 times a day, we're exposed to this message. 5,000 times a day, you are being told, buy this, and it will satisfy you. Buy this, and it will satisfy you. And you know what hurts us even worse than the stuff that we buy that we don't need, that we overspend and damage our credit rating and all of those things? What's even worse than that? is the stuff that we can't afford. And luckily enough, we live in a world that has made poverty the best place to make money. Because when you're living in poverty, you can't even imagine what it's like to be able to afford that. And 5,000 times a day, you're being told, buy that and you'll be satisfied, buy that and you'll be satisfied, but you can't afford to buy that. But what you can afford to buy is the lottery ticket at the convenience store. 
And so for a dollar and a scratchy scratch scratch, you will trade away what has been entrusted to you for the one in a billion chance that you might finally be able to afford to buy the thing that will not satisfy. And so the worst part about advertisements, the worst part about what's sold to us every day is we get bought into this idea that if only I can afford that, as soon as I can finally afford that, I'll buy that and then I'll be happy. I'll be satisfied. But it's a lie. It's a lie. Because the problem for us is it's an issue of who, not what. The problem for us is that when we talk about our satisfaction, it's an issue of who, not what. There's a pastor I love from Atlanta, Georgia. His name's Andy Stanley. He preached a sermon um, in a series called What Really Makes You Happy, and I loved this quote that he said. We all dream about a trouble-free life made possible by something, a job, a house, a car, or a pile of money. But what if what makes you happy isn't a what at all. What if it's a who? When you think back on your life and you think back to your times of greatest satisfaction, here's something that I know is true about you and I know it's true about me. Your greatest satisfaction had much more to do with who than what. Your greatest satisfaction had much more to do with relationship than things. Because ultimately, things don't satisfy. So the moments of greatest satisfaction in your life were not connected to things. The moments of greatest satisfaction in your life were corrected, were connected to people. It was connected to relationship. It wasn't the money you spent over there. It was the people you were with. And here's the problem of comparison. Here's the problem of comparison when it comes to things is it will lead us to faulty valuations. It will lead us to faulty valuations. Here's what I mean by that. It'll lead us to this place where we will begin to desire things, we'll desire stuff, we'll desire what we can afford or what we can't afford, and what we'll end up doing is that we'll so desire this stuff over here that we will abandon relationship, we will neglect relationship. When we value things over relationships, we do great damage to what really satisfies When we value things over relationships, we do great damage to what really satisfies. And sometimes it's not as obvious as that. Sometimes it's not as obvious as going, I don't have time for these people in my lives because I'm chasing after the dream. For some of us, it's just that thing of going, look at your marriage, and you're seeing the relational cost of the fact that your finances are out of control. You're seeing the relational damage that's being done because he can't stop spending money here. She can't stop spending money here. You see the relational damage that's done because on some deep level, deep down inside of us, we've convinced ourselves that this lie is true, that if I have enough to get this, then I'll be satisfied. And everyone suffers. James chapter 4, verse 2 says it this way. You desire and you do not have so you murder. You covet 
and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James, the brother of Jesus, says it this way. He goes, look, when you are desiring something that you can't get, when you're desiring something, when you're coveting something, when there's something just out of your price range and you've convinced yourself that's the thing that's going to satisfy you, when you can't get it, you will do relational damage all around you. For the sake of stuff, for the sake of things that you want but can't afford, you will damage the relationships all around you. You will murder, you will fight, you will quarrel. So what's the solution? Jesus has a solution for us. The gospel has a solution for us. The Bible has a solution for us. How do we break the comparison trap? How do we get away from this thinking where we've told ourselves the next thing will satisfy, the next thing will satisfy? How do we get around that? Contentment. Contentment. Contentment is the solution. Contentment is a solution. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6. Listen to these words that Paul writes. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. With contentment. Because if you're not content, well, if you're not really content, you can't really have godliness. But he's going, look, there's great gain in contentment. Why is there great gain in contentment? Because contentment will spare you from spending your life and energy and time and resources chasing after things that won't satisfy you. Contentment will save you your time, your energy, your resources. Contentment will spare you the relational cost of chasing things that will not satisfy you. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. See what Paul's saying to Timothy? Paul's going, look, you had nothing coming in. You didn't bring anything in with you. And when you leave, you're not taking anything with you. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, if I find in myself a desire that nothing on earth can satisfy, I must come to the conclusion that I was not made for this earth. So C.S. Lewis is saying, C.S. Lewis is going, nothing will satisfy. No thing can satisfy. No thing can satisfy. And since there's a desire in me and nothing on earth can satisfy it, I must come to the logical conclusion I was not made for this earth. And C.S. Lewis saying, look, you came in with nothing. You're going to leave with nothing. And that's okay, because nothing here can satisfy. Because this is not your home. You weren't made for this place. You were made for the satisfaction that comes in relationship with Jesus Christ. You were made to be satisfied, not by a what, but by a who. 
You were made to be satisfied by Jesus. And he's the only one that will satisfy. He's the only one that will satisfy. King Solomon, richest and wisest king in Israel's history, discovered it firsthand. And this is how he says it in Proverbs 28, 25. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Following Jesus will not make you financially rich. And by the way, it's a lie if you hear that from anyone. Following Jesus is not going to make you wealthy. Now, there are some things if you start following Jesus, you're going to start being prevented from spending your money on stupid stuff you don't need. If you start following Jesus, you're going to stop chasing around stuff like it's going to satisfy you. So you may end up with more money in the bank account, but that's out of wise living, not because God has brought more money into your life. Being enriched doesn't come from financial wealth, and being enriched doesn't come from a bigger house, and being enriched does not come from driving the 68 Mustang. By the way, if anyone has one, can you let me borrow it just for a day? It's not going to enrich you. The next job, the next career, the next thing, it's not going to enrich you. According to the wealthiest man of his generation, according to the richest guy of his generation, who had all of the toys, he had all the things that money could buy. And what does he say? Trusting in God is where enrichment comes from. Trusting in God is where satisfaction comes from. So what if, what if not coveting is a reward? What if not coveting is a reward rather than a command? What if not coveting is the reward, the enriching reward that comes to your life when you put your trust in Jesus. Because here's what we know. Comparison will tell you that the next thing will satisfy. But experience tells us that no thing will satisfy. So, we know that no thing will satisfy but someone can. No thing will satisfy your desire. No thing will satisfy that hole within you, but someone can. And his name is Jesus. And early in the first century, right outside of the city of Jerusalem, on a hill called Golgotha, he gave his life so that you would find yours. He gave his life so that you 
would find yours. He is the only one who satisfies. Would you pray with me?